0: Welcome back to the Soch Podcast, where nothing human is alien to us. I'm your host, Major Tom Fox, and I'm excited to introduce a slightly atypical episode here. Major Brian Harris, our course director for the new class in African American political thought, leads the following conversation about this semester's Dean's Book Club selection, Claudia Rankin's Citizen, an American Lyric. He's joined by the Dean herself, Brigadier General Cindy Jebb, and two stellar cadets, Cadet Lauren Clark from the class of 2021, and Cadet Xavier Williams from the class of 2022. And their far-ranging discussion spans the personal, professional, institutional, societal, and political questions so powerfully raised by Rankin's poetry. Without further ado, here's Major Harris.
1: Welcome to another episode of the SOCH podcast, where nothing human is alien to us. I'm Major Brian Harris, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today, we're gonna discuss two of the ways West Point is leading the way in creating conditions to have difficult conversations. First, we'll discuss this semester's book recommendation from the Dean, which is Claudia Rankin's Citizen, an American Lyric. Next, we'll discuss the new course I'm extremely fortunate to be in the middle of debuting this semester on African-American political thought. Joining me for today's conversation are three distinguished guests, a Dean of the Academic Board at West Point, Brigadier General Cindy Jeb. Cadet Lauren Clark from the class of 2021 and Cadet Xavier Williams from the class of 2022. Ma'am, Cadet Clark and Cadet Williams, welcome to the social podcast. Thank you. Uh, so to start our conversation today, I thought we could uh, talk a little bit about Citizen in American Lyric. So ma'am, um, as you decided on the many, many book options out there uh, for this semester, what made you select this book?
2: So this is part of the Dean's Book Club. We went through the same process that we go through for every selection that we make. We um, have a few of us who put out uh, some feelers and get some recommendations from folks, and we usually get maybe five or six recommendations. Usually there's a few of us on the staff that end up uh, actually reading some of them. But we've always wanted, in terms of the selection, but we've always wanted the book to be something that drew community together, that would cross disciplines, that would be appealing across really the the whole community. So in the past, for example, you know, we read Henrietta Lacks, Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, we've read um, iRobot, we've read Confederates in the Attic, we've read Educated a Memoir, we read, even during the pandemic, we read last uh, semester Beyond the Beautiful Forevers. So we had a a discussion, a little group come together and we thought, um, given the moment, in the public reckoning and the discussion that's been going on across society and within the academy, we wanted to have a book that helped us, as you said in the beginning, help us uh, with those difficult conversations And this uh, c- citizen and American lyric was on that book list. And, you know, we've never done poetry. And I think as we're going to get into the conversation, the book draws you in. You can't look away, <laughs> yes, <ma'am. laughs> which I think has been really important. Uh, to get people together, you relation build through that, those conversations, and it fosters community and developing empathy. So we felt this was a really nice pick.
1: That's great, ma'am. So for our two, two cadets, um, we'll, we'll get into some specific questions about sort of the book and, and the way it's uh, styled, but um, just overall, what was your, your general assessment after reading it? Um, we'll go to Cadet Clark first.
3: So my overall assumptions, that's been a while. I read the book again for a second time just in preparation for this, but I remember the first time that I read it, I was coming off a trip section with the Black Culture and Arts Forum. At the time, it was still called African-American Arts Forum, and Major Codwell and Dr. Isles took us to D.C., and we also went to the African-American Arts Museum, Art and History Museum in D.C., and as we were leaving there, Dr. Isles bought me like four different books, because throughout my time there on the trip section, I was struggling to win debates about my experiences and put why the museum was so important, why I felt so connected to Howard and all those other experiences to help. I was really struggling to put my experiences into words. And so this book, I would say, is my first, was my first introduction to Black literature, and it spoke truth and assurance and power into my experience really that it was a validating experience for me and that was the first time that i read it and reading it again two years later having gone through two more years of west point and having more experiences drawn not just from here but as you see in the rest of the country is going through a lot of strife too i feel like it still rings still rings true and again speaks so much truth and validation into my experiences in a way that's artistic and beautiful and still Very, very true. Not watered down, not overly poetic or too pretty.
1: Awesome. That's great. What about you, Cadet Williams?
4: Yes, sir. So this is my first time reading this book, and I'll have to say it is very life changing. I enjoyed some of the small diction choices and terminology choices that the author picked. And after she completed it, she wrote her moments were unsettling and closely. These are her words. And she lived in a race body about living in blackness and also living in whiteness. And I can relate to that kind of physically right now in my moment in life, right? So being stuck here at West Point, I definitely feel like I'm in a body of whiteness in a sense, right? So the majority here is not necessarily what I would say living in my blackness when I'm at home. So being able to balance both of those, to identify both of those different perspectives through poetry was powerful in itself. Words are some of the best tools that can be used to identify internal emotions. There's just so many of them. So when you see an author pick some... And the ones they choose to pick and why they choose to pick them, um, it can really strengthen an argument and make you think, wow, how does she do it? Like, how does she put it into words? But I'm very grateful I read it. It definitely changed my perspective, and I'm excited to have this conversation.
1: Absolutely. No, it's great. So um, as as I read it, it was also my first reading of it. One of the things that stood out to me uh, was the use of the, the second-person narrator. I thought that that gave it a lot of weight and, and power. So just to give our listeners an idea of the narrative voice. For those who haven't had the chance to read it yet, I'd like to just read a short passage from the first chapter. The rain this morning pours from the gutters, and everywhere else it is lost in the trees. You need your glasses to single out what you know is there, because doubt is inexorable. You put on your glasses. The trees, their bark, their leaves, even the dead ones, are more vibrant wet. Yes, and it's raining. Each moment is like this. Before it can be known, categorized as similar to another thing and dismissed, It has to be experienced. It has to be seen. What did he just say? Did she really just say that? Did I hear what I think I heard? Did that just come out of my mouth, his mouth, your mouth? The moment stinks. Still you wanna stop looking at the trees. You wanna walk out and stand among them. And as light as the rain seems, it still rains down on you. So I thought that that was a pretty powerful passage. What do you, as you think about this use of the, the second person, one that you don't see used too often, uh, why do you think that this creative decision was made and how did it add to the power of the book, ma'am?
2: As both Lauren and Xavier talked about, uh, this also spoke to me. And I think as you read that, it's I I understand why it spoke to me, because you can't be a bystander. You have to be involved through that use of the of that second person narrative and the fact that you have to be involved and it makes you think and then it makes you pause and i think through that gaining an understanding and the way she selects her words the way xavier talked about selecting those words that's i think how you develop empathy you know but it it doesn't give you the uh, the out <laughs> to be the bystander or just observer of things. Uh, she's speaking in some way direct I'll just speak for myself I felt very much that she was speaking not just to me but I was I was I was part of the narrative. I could not not be involved. And to me that was very inspirational and caused I think the kind of thinking she's probably going after to bring people together to have a shared experience as best as you can to then learn from that and develop empathy.
1: I think that's the thing that captures all of us in, in this, especially in the early parts of this uh, this book. I even had my 13-year-old son look at it, and it's hard to get a 13-year-old to be interested or excited in anything. But I think that even for him, that captured him immediately. Um, all right. What about you, Cadet Williams? What did you think about this use, this this strange decision or unusual decision to go with this second-person narrator?
4: I enjoyed it. And i think one portion of it talks about that concept of being seen right so there's a quote that says never under excuse me never underestimate the power of being seen a second narrative forces this concept of being seen we are seeing the first narrative in the book so the way that she utilizes the outside look on this outside approach she is physically seeing different portions trying to remove herself from the argument in a sense, kind of trying to see the outside picture. And I really respected that. I'm trying to work on myself being able to remove emotions, even though emotions can be a strength. And I'm not saying they aren't. I'm trying to get more involved and more led by emotions to an extent, right? I I wanted to solidify that they are there. But the power of the second person is you are removed from your own personal biases and you're seeing facts as they are facts. And you're able to assess you're able to see a different perspective and not worry about that first-handed bias. So I really respected that amount. I know everything that I hear from anyone I take with a grain of salt because people always say, my mom always says, oh, there's your side of the story. and There's their side of the story, and then that's the truth. So the truth lies within some of this stuff somewhere, but the power of a second person is that you're trying to discover just that, the truth you're not too distracted by the first or second person. So I really enjoyed that perspective.
1: Awesome, that's great. What about you, Cadet Clark? Oh, wow, those
3: are hard to follow. I really wanna um, go back and touch on some of the things that Cadet Williams was talking about especially about not being able to deny someone's experience when you put it in the second person. So by putting in the second person, now you get to feel it and see how it feels from that perspective. And I think that's a really powerful move. And ma'am, you were talking about the sense of community that you felt from her use of the second person. And I can say that when I read it, it felt like I was talking to my friend because when my mm-hmm. friends and I discuss our past experiences, we're like, and then when they do this, then they make you feel crazy and they make you feel like this is happening and you feel like this because we do have that community because we do understand what we're talking about for the most part. And I think that it was a very real and honest depiction of how these conversations and how we reflect on these situations, at least, like I said, between my group of friends. Like, this is very authentic to the way that our discussion would flow when we're going back trying to figure out, like, did you hear that? Did they say this? Or did I hear it wrong? Because when they said this, you heard it like this, right? And you're trying to verify with yourself, but again, you're, like, outside yourself trying to check to see if your lived experience is valid. I just thought that was really powerful. And I guess especially the last couple of lines really put words to a panic attack that you might have from race. And I guess, again, I'm using second person now, but a panic attack that I would have because of an instance of racism where you can't grasp reality and you don't trust yourself anymore. And you really have to be outside of yourself to understand. And even the things that are supposed to soothe you, like the way they talk about the ra- rain and the trees, it's not that anymore because you can't trust those things. Um, and again, this is what she's doing. The thing where she's poetic and beautiful, but it's so much pain and a sad community that she creates with her poetry.
4: I think what's powerful about poetry is that it's abruptness, it's shortness. So it's very short and to the point. That's kind of how these emotions feel. When we have these conversations amongst each other, you mm-hmm. get a small second to have that conversation. Did that really just happen? Really me? Like, Am I being seen? And then it's gone. You have to Charlie Mike, continue mission and keep moving because the end state has to be happening. The power of this poetry is you see in the tangible form of a book, all these small moments accumulate to a story, to a novel. Um, And you can say only in my life, wow, if I would have paid attention to that small poetry, that small poem, that small moment, and like really dived into the grace of rain in in that tree, maybe I could have felt a little bit more serenity in life. Or maybe I could have felt a little bit more included in the conversation had I spent more time than just the poem that was a powerful scene so i agree with you totally lauren awesome and
3: just to clarify i want to say that i've been in this space for the rain especially in like the parts of nature that feel like they should be trusted immediately like the your gut feeling that you want to believe like it just doesn't feel like that anymore and so maybe like he's talked about feeling like had you focused on the rain you could have come back to yourself more i feel like when i focus on the rain i'm coming outside myself like i just have to let go of all those other experiences and like negate the fact that they may or may not have been valid like it doesn't matter i'm just gonna focus on the rain so we can get through the rest of the day so i think it's just a little bit different from my perspective you know if i just build on what you all
2: by the way it's very humbling to be on the podcast with uh with you all But I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things that you all just talked about. And this notion that, and Major Harris, you started off the podcast with Humani Nihil Alienum, nothing in the human condition is alien. And when I read those questions, those are questions I've had in my head at times that I felt only I had in my head at times. And going back to what um, uh, both Cadet Clark and Cadet Williams talked about, about being seen, it validated for me. It talked to me because it validated my what I thought were very private feelings only that I was experiencing in those moments where I asked those questions. And to me that was very powerful. And so when we think about poetry, it's not just the information, the knowledge, and so it's the feelings that it evokes. And to me, those were undeniably strong. I think I shared with the the core, I mean, I was moved to write a poem after reading this very powerful,
1: yeah, this is I mean, it really is a great work, and it and it does what all great work should do, right, which is stir emotions and uh, and that there's no way to to get around that part of it. So my goal for today is to to talk about this book a little bit without ruining it for our listeners. So anyone who hasn't actually read it for themselves because we highly encourage you to do that but I do wanna ask about a more specific part of the book. And so so I wanna ask how, how you all felt, uh, a portion that got my attention was about uh, Serena Williams, uh, mm. perhaps the greatest athlete of our time and how this was received by you. So to help the readers look at it, I wanna just read a short excerpt um, as a jumping off point. And insane is what you think, one Sunday afternoon, drinking an Arnold Palmer, watching the 2009 Women's US Open semifinal when brought to full attention by the suddenly explosive behavior of Serena Williams. Serena, in HD, before your eyes, becomes overcome by a rage you recognize and have, seen, have been taught to hold at a distance for your own good. Serena's behavior on this particular Sunday afternoon suggests that all the injustice she has played through all the years of her illustrious career flashes before her, and she decides finally to respond to all of it with a string of invectives. Nothing. Nothing. Not even the repetition of negations. No, no, no. She employed in a similar situation years before as a younger player at the 2004 U.S. Open prepares you for this. Oh, my God. She's gone crazy, you say to no one. So we'll go to our young scholars first to see what you thought of this, this the Serena Williams portions of the book, which I thought were, were some of, to me, some of the most powerful portions. So we'll start with you, Cadet Williams. What, what did you think about this and, and some of the other passages about this Serena Williams situation?
4: First, I'd like to say Serena stands for more than she has asked to stand for. For her community, the African-American community in particular, she stands as a scene of power, um, grace, consistency, yet feminism. I think it's very important to include in there as well. And for her, I think she has embodied in a physical form what society is kind of going through today. She has endured a lot through her entry into this field of of some sort or of tennis. And yet through different movements, through different things, through different outcomes, she has still tried to bottle it in until you hit a spout or a point in life where you kind of just kind of let it out, which is totally normal, by the way. But under the microscope of her profession, under the microscope of her peers, her audience, which is both not only black, I think her audience is the world in this case, so diverse as it comes. The whole world, in all its many shapes and forms and facets, are watching her movements, just as society is being watched now by the world. And we see an outspurce. I don't think it, it should be looked down upon. I think it more should look as a sign of strength. As a man, I see... Serena Williams as a sign of strength in her field. I think she is a goal of mine that I aspire to get to, a way to to move through life and move through a sport, move through a calling and still hold true your values and things that you want to bring forth into the next generation and still be motivational and all these great things, but yet show emotion, right? So like this stuff is hard. Life is hard right now. And I think this book is helping me identify that even I have a lot of things that I have to digest um, and if I don't let it out in a, in a scene of a podcast or in a scene of just talking with my friends like Lauren and, and having conversation, it's going to come out and it might not be as pretty when it comes out, but coming out is not a bad thing. I will say that having conversations such as this Serena, Serena is all of us. She lives within all of us. So have those conversations, dwell on those small moments. So when it builds up and you have one of those outcomes in the world is your audience they're not unexpected. They know what was coming and build up. Not just your direct audience, which might be the black community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. She's an she's an absolute icon in 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 every way. I mean, not not just in sport, but but in the world, uh, the world at large. Um, what about what about you, Clark? What uh, how did these passages hit you?
3: Well, I would say that this passage. I mean, I felt it one hundred thirty percent. And I feel like where uh, pieces of art and literature try and make it poetic and like, oh, they called upon the rage of our ancestors. Like, yes, they did. But the way that Citizen depicts it and roots it in like historical precedent is so powerful and so real in a way that like a lot of artists like shy away from doing I feel like I also think that this portion of the book her rage is really about having to justify her very reason for being which is something that Toni Morrison discusses um, it's like what she's mad about isn't the one thing but it's like no I have to prove to you not only that this was unjust but that you ought to defend me when something unjust happens and I think that's a common experience for black women and so the rage that they're calling upon is really like really powerful again it's about more than just that one moment as cadet williams already discussed what i think about when i think about serena williams is a trailblazer and when you talk about a trailblazer it's like somebody's like no i'm gonna do it my way i'm gonna get through it because that's my goal and that's what i have in mind and i think that it's like the most toxic way to talk about people who are the first and leaders like you can't just blaze through you have to pave the way and that's so much more work and everybody didn't ask to have to pave the way and it's ridiculous that you ought to have to do that but unfortunately you do and her like poise is uncanny and it's really like not like achievable for everybody to be able to do that and I think that understanding where her rage is coming From that, it's about having to justify herself and having to need permission, especially when you talk about a woman who is so passionate and poised. And a lot of times, you got that strong black woman stereotype that often draws on this idea of you're so strong that you don't need protection, but also that when something does happen, you probably aggravated the incident and almost deserve what's coming your way. And I think that that's really what this scene is all about is capturing what type of trap and how vulnerable archetypes and stereotypes such as the strong black woman stereotype creates for it the way it binds women and people into having to defend and stand for more than they ought to
1: that's awesome you gave a great summary i mean it's a it is a tremendously powerful portions of the book um and finally to we'll go to to you ma'am what did what did you think about these uh these parts recounting the story of, of serena williams
2: yeah. Again, very powerful as Kit uh, Clark and Kit Williams talked about. You know, when you think about, I think Lauren, you used the word word trailblazer, to be at the the world's best, and what it takes to get there, and the fact that she's been herself, she's been authentic, which is really hard to do, in the in in the world's uh, spotlight, if you will and she does it with grace, and she does it with style, and she does it with passion. She does it with great athleticism and great intellect and great, I mean, just everything that she's achieved and sets an example for, speaks to everybody. And I will say, uh, just pulling a little bit from what um, Cadet Williams said in terms of feminism, I also looked at this as a very uh, gender-based bias, if you will. I, I grew up watching John McEnroe, <laughs> you know, John McEnroe, you know, a great tennis player and, you know, but sometimes men and women, men get to be passionate and women are emotional or, you know, you, you name it. Right. And um, I think, again, unfairly judged based on an array of things. And yet, you know, she's not afraid to stand alone and, and set, I think, the um, when we talk about a trailblazer you know, leave trails for the rest of us, right? As examples and inspiration. And uh, I think the way it was portrayed in the book, as well as with the pictures, um, extremely. In fact, it was hard to watch, it was hard to see the pictures in some ways, right? In terms of what she's had to endure. Absolutely,
1: that is true, and that and that's one of the parts that, as the listeners, hopefully get a copy of the book, will see that that interplay of the words, but also the the art that's throughout and how that really does play a, a central role to to um, what you get in this book.
3: I feel like the most concise way to say because of her positionality, the same characteristics that made her a threat would also denied her protection. So because she's passionate and strong, then she didn't need protection. She couldn't. Have a referee be rational and actually stand up and say, no, that's not a good call. And I think that's what a lot of marginalized people and communities are discussing when they talk about microaggressions and injustice. It's those same characteristics that are put on you that make you a threat are the same ones that make protection inaccessible to you.
1: That's really well said. And there's even, I mean, beyond the book, there's even in her own life, there was uh, there was her story of of as she was giving birth and, and going through medical issues and, and not being essentially not being believed as she was suffering from like blood clots, some serious, like potentially deadly illness that she was suffering in the hospital and at someone of her level and stature and fame. And even then having to essentially argue with staff to get them to, to believe her. And so there are so many things about her, her life that I think speak to so many people about their experiences that even having attained what she has, the, the wealth and the notoriety and all of those things, how this it's just such an intersectional story in so many ways, for sure. Go ahead, uh, Cadet Williams.
4: Yeah, so I really enjoyed it, and I think everything is done with intent. So everything was intentional. So it was intentional for her to pick Serena Williams. So I asked myself why. For me, I'm like somebody else. There's a lot of people, radical um, athletes and different people. But what Serena Williams serves as, and I'll say, too, that I'm a feminist by heart. And I and I want to say that because I'm a male, and it's okay for guys to be feminists. Um, if you don't do your personal enlightenment of what the word means you kind of get this connotation while feminist uh feminine this guy is feminine no do your own research man Like, and, that, and that's on you to find your own personal enlightenment and define what these words mean for yourself and that's kind of what i had to do but there's no other person who i can think of off the top of my head who is at the the downfall of both categories that are in a lot of extreme heat right now in society a woman and then a racial black woman right i've written a lot of quotes recently that Black women are some of the world's pride and joy and strength, but yet they're the most overlooked people in the world right now. They're overlooked. This idea of being seen is, is going through her book a lot. And for Serena Williams to still not be seen throughout all her career, yet she has reached the climax of success. No one else, and um, debatable, of course, has done what she has done in the, in the realm of tennis, but yet she is still facing. Pain, heartache, discomfort at her climax. So if two of these things collide, a female and a black female at that, why is it that she still can't benefit as her predecessors have? And I think it's just that thought and that intent to pick her to show the highlights of both of these two spectrums of life. And when they collide, you would think nothing but positivity, but yet we see something different. It challenges you, it challenges me as a man, as a cadet, as a leader, to identify why and brainstorm how we can fix it. So it set the pace early in the book, allowed me to get my mind on tight, put my thinking cap on. I wasn't just reading. I was trying to problem solve. Poetry is powerful because it leaves a lot of gaps, too. And you have to fill them in. You can't just read and say, oh, that was a great poem. No, you have to say, what does that mean? Why Serena Williams? And why did it go?
1: Absolutely. No, very well said.
4: Before we put this uh, amazing
1: book away, we could probably talk about it for a four-hour podcast if we wanted. But I wanted to ask you, ma'am, as as cadets and faculty and, and even people outside the academy read this book, what kind of conversations do you hope that will be inspired this semester and, and beyond?
2: Well, after hearing uh, Cadet Clark and Cadet Williams speak, I, I hope the conversation is like this. <laughs> you know, continue, you know, and it's, it's, you know, what's nice about, I'm going to sound very deanish, <laughs> the political arts, right, in the academic sphere, it's such a good space to have these conversations, you know, when we, why aren't we more, feel more comfortable, and maybe, and not just comfortable, we don't want to feel comfortable, actually, growth, I think, occurs when we're not comfortable, but we should embrace that discomfort, right? Because that's what's going to help us all grow. We're all here at the military academy for one common purpose. That's expressed in our mission. And to have a book, as, as uh, Xavier and, and Lauren have so eloquently been talking about, that helps drive those conversations. Because you have to ask those important questions. You know, why did the you know did the author pick Serena Williams? You know, why is she choosing the second person? In those conversations and in those questions that should help people engage with one another right to really understand is that how you feel let me tell you how i felt and these and to generate truly meaningful conversations that are going to build relationships because you don't create culture you know we talk about having an inclusive culture that doesn't happen by organizations it happens individuals right and to have an opportunity to get together, to have community, even in a pandemic, (laughs) to have these conversations, to get to know one another, that's how you start building trust, and that's the cornerstone of community. So I hope this does help foster that, and not to be, not to feel like you have to deflect or to feel like I'm going to look away, but no, I want to lean in. I want to understand, and I want to understand not just how you're feeling I think the poetry also helps you on, a, on another level become more self-aware And you know I think as we develop leaders of character who become more self-aware they're more open right to learning and having the humility and being vulnerable right because if we can't be vulnerable I think it's very hard to develop empathy
1: yes ma'am that's no, it's great. And, and judging by our conversation today, I think that this book is definitely doing what you what you ha- had hoped. It seems like that uh, it really resonates, and and that's that's all you can you can hope for. So, um, as I joined the faculty last year, I I, I came in uh, really eager with, for this great opportunity, and I had a desire to try to introduce a course uh, on African American political thought. And I was kind of uncertain at first if that was even possible to do as someone who was just sort of a brand new member of this team. But I, what I've learned in in my short time here is that one thing that's that's consistent is this overwhelming support from leadership for for new initiatives that I, if they can add in any way to the cadet experience. And so this fall, uh, I've been able to debut uh, a course, and Cadet Williams is one of the guinea pigs along for the ride. Uh, so I I promise that I didn't plant any answers, and and also that his final grade will not be influenced by his answer here. But uh, but just. Uh, Broadly, we've been, I think we're 12 lessons in so far, Um, but what has your experience been like in the course so far, uh, Cadet Williams?
4: Well, I feel welcomed, first of all. So for me, I am a politics major. I'm involved here um, on a political level as a cadet, if that's possible. Um, I really enjoy my space within this class because I feel welcomed. The conversations that we have feel welcomed and intentional, um, meaning the outcome of them is what the intent of the conversation was meant for. A lot of times in other classes, we have to kind of bring the conversation to that point. We don't have to try to talk about those things. This classroom is merely based on the premise that we will have some tough conversations about society. Where else have, in my life have I had the opportunity to talk about politics and talk about my origin? Other than this class, i been in the kitchen table with my parents. And that's bias. And that really is bias. So this class has afforded me the opportunity that I could never replace. And that's to hear different perspectives of different people in the realms of politics and talk about some great trailblazers along the way. We talk about Serena Williams being trailblazer. What about W. Du Bois and Ida B. Wells having their thought process and see how it came to create how I think about things, because they've created the people who I emulate today. Um, It's been powerful. And I'm very excited and truly feel lucky to be a part of this class and i think more classes like this are needed and not just for people who like me that are passionate about it but people who will soon be passionate after they take the class
1: absolutely and 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 for the audience cadet williams is one of, of 14 amazing cadets in there so i'm very fortunate to to have him and, and others and we we have amazing conversations. It's usually the highlight of my my week uh, almost every week, so it's it's tremendous. One of the things that, that I really try to stress in, in the course right from the start is that African-American political thought is American political thought. It's, it's not separate. Uh, for instance, debates that we talk about in our core class about Federalist and Anti-Federalist that we encounter, they have a lot of the same themes that we find in the works of people like David Walker and Martin Delaney, but we often struggle um, as instructors, as faculty, to, to incorporate this wide variety of available voices. We were really excited, ma'am, to have you join us last week for our first lesson of four on uh, WEB Du Bois. How do you think, as as the dean and, and as you approach these things, how do we ensure that cadets are are encountering as many voices from diverse perspectives as possible throughout their, uh, their very short time here at the Academy?
2: Yeah, no. Um... No, I appreciate that. So the good news is that the way the curriculum and the assessment of the curriculum and the faculty is brought in, we have a model that is continually being refreshed. So yes, we have a broad liberal arts education, which lends itself for a broad perspective. We have rotating military faculty like yourself who are coming from graduate school with the latest theories, the latest concepts, which is really, really important. We have opportunities, uh, I call it to test ride courses, just like you're doing. I did that when I was a rotator as well. And, and it's been very, um, I think a great way to really test out innovative curriculum pedagogies and content and so forth. You know, we have a very vibrant guest speaker program. When you look at the array of speakers, who come from all walks of life from you know, I'm, you know we're all saddened to see the passing of ruth bader ginsburg what a what a thrill that was a couple years ago to have ta Coates here to have i can go on and on with the uh, phenomenal people who've come through as guest speakers you know from four-star generals to you know scholars and so forth is really important to get those different perspectives we are going through um, our middle states you know, again, to show that we're continually improving and assessing, and you need an organization to have the uh, humility, right? To continue to look at itself and be open to new ideas and so forth. We are right now forming what we'll call the human condition thread, which is going to frame the curriculum uh, in terms of showing where we're highlighting all aspects of the human condition you know starting with our new course in HI101 the new um, history of the army of the republic quite frankly and going through in the core right in the core so that we are assur- we are ensuring that cadets are getting across the core the kinds of exposure to different perspectives and other ways of looking at problems which is all about building critical thinkers. You can't build critical thinkers if you're not having the opportunity to engage in discussion, learn from different uh, differing perspectives, be in a class where you're learning from classmates, right? So I think the way we're designed, it is, you cannot not be a learning organization <laughs> if you're truly meeting you know the uh, the objectives of higher education and producing citizens, not just the academy, but producing citizens who are going to critically think and care about one another and want to be part of something bigger than themselves and and have and be part of change in vibrant communities and in, in society. So when you say how do we make sure that we're hearing different voices, that's sort of baked into what it means to have a broad liberal arts education to be focused on producing critical thinkers, to be producing not just leaders of character and officers, good citizens, right? And making sure when people understand what citizen means, we're all citizens, right? In terms of, you can be citizens and part of community, you can be citizens as part of the world. Obviously, here at the Military Academy, we talk about citizenry here in the United States, and we wanna make sure that not just here at the Academy, but in our communities across the country, that we all are, are part of something bigger than ourselves and care about one another, broadly speaking. But I think it's really important to have that broad perspective in terms of understanding. you know, The other big part of it, Major Harris, not just the rotating military faculty, I have great trust and confidence in our faculty who are going to, when we think about uh, their scholarship, and making sure that their students right, are developing, not just as critical thinkers, but as people, that they're refreshing curriculum uh, with that goal in mind.
1: Yes, ma'am. And I've been very fortunate to be a small part of that, but it's, it's a tremendous part of the academy. So as we wrap up our podcast today, I wanted to leave our last question for you, ma'am. Um, So with this unprecedented, is is a word that's probably overused, but with this unprecedented year, uh, bringing challenges, but also some really great opportunities, what are your hopes for the classes of 21, 22, 23, 24, um, and even beyond as they navigate this year and uh, the rest of their time here at West Point?
2: So let me just say, the cadets have been phenomenal and resilient. I mean, when you think about what (laughs) we're experiencing, you know, from last semester, and the quick pivot, you know, to making all the adaptation and adjustments, and now we're into this academic year. You know, the as, as you all are seeing, right? The the only way you can really do this is you do it together, right? This is not, um, <laughs> you know, we talk about the army. This is a team sport. the best teams are those that are, and we use the word, you know, diverse, inclusive, and we have equitable. You know, and Lauren, we talked about this. They're only strong if we identify that diversity, acknowledge that diversity and value that diversity. That's what makes us strong. What I would hope as we continue to navigate, as we're sharpening all of our skills as in, in this kind of environment, when I say this kind of environment, having a pandemic. But I think this is a phenomenal opportunity to get to know, really get to know people you know we're all you know when we think about our humanity is it's not just understanding different cultures different races different backgrounds and so forth hopefully that gets us more connected to our own humanity you know you are again you know, go back to the opening nothing in the human conditions alien well it takes a lot of um study and development self-reflection to get to that point. It truly does. And it means that we, I hope through this process, when we think about developing leaders of character, what does that mean, right? Self-aware, humble, strong, open. That's the kind of leadership when we think about going forward that's going to be able to get through whatever it is. We don't know what the next day is going to unfold or the next year and so forth. And to to be postured such that we as a country are ready for it. And I'm very optimistic about the classes 21, 22, 23, and 24. You can see right now the conversation that we just had and why I am truly optimistic going forward, which means that we can't we, we have to lean in into those discomfort zones and be open to growth. And so that's what I hope, but that's what I see. I mean, that's what I see right here. So if there was one thing, that would be
1: it. That's great, ma'am. So I, I wanna thank uh, Brigadier General Jebb and Cadets Clark and Williams for your time today. Uh, this has been a really a really great conversation and I really hope it can continue for all of us in our day-to-day interactions around the Academy. For any of our cadet listeners, you have some really great opportunities here at the Academy to engage with the issues of today. You can definitely read the read the dean's book. Highly encourage you to do that and attend book discussions, uh, which promise to be great venues to really unpack a lot of things as we did today. If you're in the class of 22 or later, you can also join me next fall for SS490B, African American Political Thought. Talk to your DAC where we encounter some really, truly great works that ha- and we have some amazing conversations. Uh, so information on both of the book and the course will be in the show notes. And I really wanna thank you for listening. Join us on the next episode of The Soch Podcast.
0: Thank you again to Brigadier General Jeb, Major Harris, and Cadets Clark and Williams for that fantastic conversation. We hope it spurs even more just like it, both inside the Corps of Cadets and beyond. For those interested in the book, check out the show notes for more details. And you should also know that Claudia Rankin has a new volume out entitled Just Us, in American Conversation, in which she grapples with these big questions of race and American culture at an intimate personal and relational level. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Remember to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not reflect the official positions of West Point, the United States Army, or the Department of Defense. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us at Research Lab at westpoint.edu to let us know what you think and what you wanna hear next. Special thanks, as always, to the West Point Band for providing our music.